Hello, I'm Simon. And I'm Dan. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article each week and we talk about what we find. Dan, what are we talking about this week? This week, Simon, we are talking about Mr. Men. Oh! I know, isn't that nice? It's dem boys! It's dem, dem colourful boys. Oh, that makes me so happy! Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Oh, God, that's, that's honestly... Because before we started recording, you said, oh, it's a good one. Like, I did. randomised on a good one. And I I guess me of little faith, I uh, I did not believe. And wow. Oh, okay. So, but, but Dan, what are Mr. Men? Well, Simon, I'm so glad you asked. Mr. Men is a series of children's books by English author Roger Hargreaves, commencing in 1971. Wow. From 1981, an accompanying series of Little Miss books by the same author, but with a female characters, were published. A similar series of animal characters known as Timbuktu started in 1978. After Hargreaves' death in 1988, his son Adam began writing and illustrating new Mr. Men and Little Miss stories like Mr. Good, Mr. Cool, Mr. Rude, Little Miss Scary, Little Miss Bad, which sounds alarmingly kinky, and Little Miss Whoops. <laughs> oh god, that there's so gonna be like a market for adult versions of the Mr. Men books. Yeah. Little Little Miss Paddle Fetish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean <laughs> I'm sure that some of them you could like you could definitely like make adult versions of like Mr. Bump. Mr. Tickle. Yes, yeah. Mr. Mr. Bump is super into uh, cocaine. Mm. Um, What are the other classic ones? Well, I imagine we'll get, because it's quite an extensive article, I imagine we'll get to a list of them. Now, did he, did the same go? Did Roger Hargreaves make Mr. Ben? Ooh. Do you remember Mr. Ben? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. This Um, was the show for for our readers at home. This was the show uh, that featured, uh, it was a guy who looked like, or was it the same guy that was also on the sauce jars? You know the ones I mean? Mm. Uh, I don't think mm. it is actually the same guy, but it looks like the man with the bowler hat. And yes. he went into uh, a, a haberdasher's or something like that on the road. And there was a mm. changing room. Yeah. And then he went into the changing room and he entered parallel worlds or, you know, like fanciful kind of fantasy worlds. Mr. Ben, spelled B-E-N-N, is a character created by David McKee. Okay. Uh, so so not Roger Hargreaves. Well, did Roger Hargreaves do anything else other than the Mr. Men books? He he did. He did Mr. Men, Little Miss, Walter Worm, <laughs> okay. John Mouse, Albert Elephant, Count Worm and Grandfather Clock, I Am... Dot, 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 Timbuktu that we mentioned, um, mm. Hippo, Potto and Mouse. Brilliant. <laughs> Easy Peasy People, Roundy and Squarey, Veggie Fruits and The Doctors. Wow, it was quite prolific. I, it's just such a like a lovely like it, it it's it's a a world of characters that has no hard edges, you know? Yes. Like it's all just nice and soft. If, if it's like if Percy Pig uh like had an extended universe. <laughs> if you had the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's all you know, the first one, the first movie in the in the the Percy Cinematic Universe was Percy Pig, followed by Percy Pig 2. And then you had the incredible Timbuktu and mm. it kind of spiraled from there and then you ended up with this amazing finale in the 22nd film with like Mr. Tickle taking down who would the villain be if 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 Percy Pig had a villain who would the villain be Barry Butcher I don't know <laughs> something, something like that maybe oh that's a great name for a butcher Barry yeah. There was actually, there was, um, oh, I'm going to have to Google this now. I've never actually looked this up. So I used to live in Dartmouth um, uh, when my dad was at the Naval College. And you know Happy Families cards? 
So it's mm. like uh, the the chemist's family. And it was like you had to collect... It was very, like, heteronormative kind of um, nuclear family, wasn't it? Because you had to collect, like, the mum, the dad, and the child. Yeah. And you had a set or something like that. Um, and I'm, I'm just Googling this now. Happy Families card game. Um, oh, wow. They are old. I had no idea. They were first published. Happy Families was first published before the Great Exhibition. Good Lord. I had no idea they were that old. Yeah, nor did I. Uh, and basically, you have like families which have names that are tied to the profession. So it's like mm. Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Dip the Dyer, Potts the Painter, Soot the Sweep, Ghost the Doctor. And there have been loads of them. The article for this is actually super interesting. There's like a whole list of... Uh, uh, <laughs> a whole list of names and professions, um, including like obvious ones like Mr. Trout the Fisherman. But then there's also stuff like Mr. Boat the Fisherman. Yeah, they were scraping the bottom of the barrel there, I think. Is Barrel in here? Surely Barrel is in here somewhere. No, apparently not. There is Mr. Atom the Scientist, though. Nice. Uh, uh, also, is there a singer? Uh, hang on, I want to see. Is there like a musician or singer or something? No, apparently not. Anyway, um, the reason I bring this up is because in Dartmouth, there were enough families that lived in Dartmouth that had nominative determinism hmm. that they actually made their own version of it using the local families. Oh, amazing. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I've never looked this up before. Mum and Dad always used to tell me this story. And it was in, uh, partly illustrated by Simon Drew, if you know that artist. Oh, um, the name rings a bell. He does, it, you'd recognise the style for sure. But like, so he is in the pack. Uh, this is the 1987 Dartmouth Happy Families. Oh, I, yeah, I've just Googled. Yeah, I, I know who you mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's, uh, so the uh, you have Mr. Drew, the artist. These are all real people that lived in Dartmouth and my parents lived there. Mr. Blewett, the bookie. Nice. Mr. Cruz, the boatman, yeah. uh, spelt C-R-E-W-S. Mr. Crisp, the greengrocer. Mr. Cutmore, the butcher. Uh, or hairdresser. Yeah, we could have got away with that, yeah. Uh, possibly my favourite is Mr. Killer, the chemist. Whoa. <laughs> um, also, it's so... it's Yeah, it's very much a thing of its time uh, in that there's like... It's literally Mr. Scorer, the auctioneer, and Mrs. Scorer, the auctioneer's wife. Wow, yeah. Um, and then, oh, there's a second edition that added uh, Mr. Swindle, the banker. Swindle? <laughs> Swindle, the banker. That's pretty good. Mr. Nash, the dentist. Mr. Leg, the athlete. Well, like, it's just so bananas to me that, like, there was enough people with, yeah, like, nominative determinism at play in their, like, names that they could make a legit deck of these cards. That's pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, we went on off on a wild tangent, which we never do on this show. So you said that this article about Mr. Men is very extensive. Mm. What can you tell me? I'll give a bit more detail over what the Mr. Men and indeed Little Miss series is for, for our friends who might not know what we're talking about. Mm. That never happens on this show, Dan. People, well, people are always 100% in step with us. We are Our, yes. our readership is like photons in a laser beam. We are perfectly yeah, in, like, like a marching band. Each book in the original Mr. Men and Little Miss series introduced a different title character and his slash her single dominant personality trait to convey a simple moral lesson. The Mr. Men and Little Miss characters frequently reappear in other characters' books. As of 2015, a total of 85 Mr. Men and Little Miss characters have been featured in the series. The book's simple stories with brightly coloured, boldly drawn illustrations make them very popular, with sales of over 100 million worldwide across 28 countries. So, me explaining this to people is a complete waste of time, because 
sales <laughs> over 100 million across 28 countries. Brilliant. Uh, I, I just Googled, um, out of curiosity, adult Mr. Mem. Uh, and there is a series of books uh, for adults, uh, little Mr. Men and Little Miss Grownups. And they consist of, I'm going to go on an eBay listing here. Oh, no. Uh, what do we have? We have uh, Little Miss Shy Goes Online Dating. Little Miss, oh my God. Little Miss no. Lucky is Getting Married. Little Miss Busy Surviving Motherhood. Mr. Happy in the Office Party. Mr. Grumpy Nails. Sorry, uh, the intonation of that one was wrong. Mr. Grumpy <laughs> Nails Fatherhood. And Mr. Greedy Eats Clean to Get Lean. Good Lord. Wow, that sounds marvelous. Because there, that is that does kind of tie in with like you know the you know the Ladybird books that used to like yes, you, you get, yeah. and now there's like the Ladybird book of Brexit or um, yeah, the Ladybird book of the midlife crisis. There was one that um, Pixel Girls, ooh, sister, I think, got for part of her Christmas present, which was like the very hungry caterpillar, but it was the very hungover office worker or something. Yeah, and it was we like, have a collection of about eight of those in our downstairs bathroom at home. Really? Yeah. Some good ones. It's just kind of funny how, like, nostalgia for your childhood is, like, everywhere in the media. And you see it with stuff like, for example, Picard is, like, is launching the day after we record this, I think, which is just preying on people missing Star Trek The Next Generation. And, you know, reboots of films, like, I don't know. I watched a Red Letter Media video on Tron. Like, it's, it's, it's like, people are always reinventing stuff to make mm. you think you're a child again and i think it's kind of funny that this like whole counter movement is as as like a risen up where it's stuff that's been updated to be adult for that original mm. audience again it's almost like when you grow up with harry potter and like the themes kind of get more dark and adult as you got more adult as you read the books if you and dark yeah uh yeah. as uh, if you were my age anyway but like they kind of aged with harry um yes it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think I think that's kind of funny, really. What do you think we'll be nostalgic about in like twenty years? Well, there w- would you be suckered in by like an adult retelling of World of Warcraft? Um, I mean, I, I'm suckered into retellings of it now, so I think obviously <laughs> I would be. Well, when do they reboot the Marvel Cinematic Universe? When was when is enough yeah. time passed that we'll get another Iron Man and we we go and take our children? It's like how the Star Wars prequels came out. And mm. that was people who went to see the Star Wars when they were a kid. And they were like, oh, come on, let's go and see a movie. And all the kids mm. were like watching The Phantom Menace going, yeah, this is awesome. And all the adults were going, mother of God, what, yeah. what the just f- is this trash? Yeah. <laughs> like, you still haven't seen Cats on that note, by the way, have you? I haven't. No, I haven't. Although I have. Right. So I don't know. I'll save that for Critics Corner. I'm bringing it back down because I've, I've fallen into an unusual film club. I'll tell you more right. about it in that corner, but I will get to that later. Well, as I predicted, we do have an entire list of right. the Mr. Men series. There are many more titles published as translations, including works in French, Spanish, German, Portuguese, Dutch, Greek, Icelandic, Hebrew, Mandarin, Korean, Irish, and others. Oh. Um, but I'm going to try and rattle through every single Mr. Man in one breath. So these are all of the Mr. Men in the Mr. Men series spanning from 1971 to 2017. 
Mr. Tickle, Mr. Greedy, Mr. Happy, Mr. Nosy, Mr. Sneeze, Mr. Bump, Mr. Snow, Mr. Messy, Mr. Topty Servy, Mr. Silly, Mr. Uppity, Mr. Small, Mr. Daydream, Mr. Forgetful, Mr. Jelly, Mr. Noisy, Mr. Lazy, Mr. Funny, Mr. Mean, Mr. Chatterbox, Mr. Fuzzy, Mr. Bounce, Mr. Muddle, Mr. Dizzy, Mr. Impossible, Mr. Strong, Mr. Grumpy, Mr. Clumsy, Mr. Quiet, Mr. Rush, Mr. Tall, Mr. Worry, Mr. Nonsense, Mr. Wrong, Mr. Skinny, Mr. Mischief, Mr. Clever, Mr. Busy, Mr. Slow, Mr. Christmas, Mr. Brave, Mr. Grumble, Mr. Perfect, Mr. Cheerful, Mr. Cool, Mr. Rude, Mr. Good, Mr. Nobody, Mr. Christmas, Mr. Birthday, Mr. Mo, Mr. Marvelous, Mr. Adventure. Well done. That was that was a fantastic freestyle there, Dan. Thank you. Thanks very much. Imagine like the pub quiz knowledge if you'd memorized that list and someone yeah. was like, How many Mr. Men do you think you could name? And you just like <laughs> spat out the entire list. People would look at you like you just you like you'd grown a second head. It'd be amazing. So Mr. Adventure is the most recent Mr. Man. And the original Mr. Man, I think, is considered to be Mr. Tickle. He is the, f- yeah, Mr. Tickle is the first book in the Mr. Men series, published on the 10th of August, 1971. Right. So what, what was the first three? Give me the first three. Mr. Tickle, Mr. Greedy, Mr. Happy. Mr. Happy is the classic. We all know Mr. Happy. See, I think I know Mr. Bump best. Oh, right. I uh, see. I remember Mr. Bump was blue, wasn't he? Yeah, he was blue and he had bandages all over. And I think... Yeah. I think Mr. Happy mom... was just a big yellow, smiley, lovely person. My uh, my mum, I think, used to read me Mr. Bump because I had I was an incredibly clumsy child and I did mm. get injured quite frequently. Sometimes on purpose because I knew that if I was injured, I could stay in the school library in primary school and read instead of going out to play with other people. I'm just reading through some of the little miss... And I suppose because they've already used so many kind of basic personality traits in the Mr. Men, and the little first Little Miss didn't come until 1981, so ten years later, there's so there's some that are really quite niche. Yeah. Little Miss Somersault, which is I think a bit rubbish. Yeah. Little Miss um, Tuck. Little Miss Roly Poly. Little Miss Fickle. <laughs> what <laughs> kind of what kind of lesson is that teaching a child? Yeah. Little Miss Sparkle, Little Miss Hug, which is just lame. Um, the, uh, last year, they brought out Little Miss Valentine. Dan, I, on that note, I don't want to alarm you. Dear readers, I have to explain this. Before we started recording, Pixel Girl came into my office and explained that mm. she'd lost her phone. So we logged in to find my phone on my PC and buzzed it. We found it. It was in a tissue box. Don't ask why. Anyway, I hadn't closed the tab and I just glanced at it. She was actually going for a swim. Dan, her iPhone is in the river. Right. Did she say where she was going swimming? Now, that's the thing. Because <laughs> this is key. <laughs> I don't... I believe <laughs> that considering it's half past eight at night on a winter's night, uh, I believe that she meant a swimming pool. Um, mm. That's in the river. Now, it's possible that she's dropped her phone. Equally, it's possible that... Like this is just bugged out slightly. GPS is having a moment. I just look. I just switched tabs and I was like, "Wait, hold on a minute. <laughs> that, that doesn't look good." <laughs> so, um, if I if I get called off by the emergency services to uh, rescue my my girlfriend from hypothermia, I, I mean, I assume they would like pull her out of the river. They wouldn't be like, "Mate, get here quick. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to get her out of there. We're not going in." Um, yeah, that's why. Uh, so yes, sorry about that. That's uh, hopefully I'll, I'll close that tab. I'm sure she's fine. Uh, she can fend for herself. Uh, so Miss Valentine, which is yeah. I bet full of completely modern progressive ideas yeah. about romance. They just really start to scrape the bottom of the barrel. I'm just starting to run out of ideas a bit. Yeah, little, little, mm. little Miss walked into a room and can't remember what they, she was looking for in the room, so turned to leave and then remembered. Yeah. Like, Really drilling into the human condition. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. So there we are, the Mr. Men series. Now, um, oh, do I want to do this now? You know what? Yes, I think I do want to do this now because I suppose it is kind of news. Um, so, Dan, I'm going to send you a file mm-hmm. on our call. Uh, okay. And basically, last week, don't play it just yet. What I okay. did last week was, among other things, go to CERN um, to give a talk. So CERN is in Geneva. Um, I yeah. gave this talk and I did a, a video, uh, which is about a really interesting PhD project there about antimatter. Mm-hmm. And um, I did a little bit of field reporting for the Wikicast. I haven't told you about this. I haven't, I haven't put this Ooh. on social media. Um, this is exciting. When I was in Geneva, I uh, took a look at something which we did an episode on. I believe it was Wikicast number 33. Uh, oh, right. do, do you remember Wikicast episode number 33, Dan? Oh, you're testing me now. Um, can I have a clue? Uh, it was a sculpture. Ooh, um, was it, was it the chair? It was the enormous f***ing chair. And wow. you know what? I was passing through the neighbourhood uh, and I thought I would take a look at for the first time in, I think, the history of the show where we've landed on an article and I actually went to go and see the thing. So roll the tape, Adam. Hello, dear readers. This is Simon reporting in from Geneva. I'm currently looking at chair, parentheses, sculpture. Something which we said in the episode was that it's an enormous chair, which is accurate. Something we missed, however, was that it is smack in front of, it could not be more in front of the United Nations building in Geneva. There's an avenue of flags that um, goes from the building out towards uh, the courtyard, which I'm in now, um, which is like an open courtyard with loads of trams and buses and stuff, and directly in in front of that column of uh, flags is the sculpture. I've got to say, it's a pretty effective uh, sort of statement about violence without depicting violence, if that makes sense. Um, you know, it, it works in person. It also makes you feel like you're really small. It kind of gives you this flash of memory, like when you're a baby, presumably, and, you know, you would look up at stuff in your house that was that size. Uh, I had a moment of almost like vertigo of like, feeling like I was a baby again. And it lives up to the hype. It is an enormous chair and it's a good sculpture. 15 wiki stars. Back to you in the studio. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was, um, I, 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 it was a very effective sculpture. Like I said in that clip, it was, uh, it was kind of amazing, actually. And what I didn't include in that was that there was like this really half-hearted protest happening uh, underneath the chair. There was, mm. it was, I think it was from Ecuador specifically, and it were these people basically saying about, uh, I think it was brutality by the regime and people who had been killed, uh, but they mm-hmm. had like a Bluetooth connected um, phone to like a speaker and the signal kept disappearing. So you had this like really juddery, like kind of awful playback and they basically just seemed to call it quits after like 10 minutes. But yeah, it was, it was it was something that I just didn't at all appreciate from the article that we read that it was like yeah. so prominently in front of the uh, the UN. So um, Golly, uh, now you you don't have it to hand. When when did we re- we release that episode? Oh, how long ago was it? I can look it up. Uh, I want to know because I think that's going to be a, it's going to be scarily long ago. Yeah, 
hang on, Wikicast chair sculpture. Um, the fifth of May, twenty eighteen. So not quite two years ago. Wow. Yeah, it's quite a while ago though. Different times, eh? But yeah, I I just felt I was passing through, and th- there's not that much to do in Geneva, if I'm completely honest with you. Um, you basically go and look at the big jet of water in the lake. You have a wander around some of the nice buildings. You can go up to the UN bit and look at the chair, and uh, that's about it, really. There wasn't a huge Brilliant. amount to do. You should um, you should start doing tourism videos for Geneva. Yeah, I really should. I mean, I'm really selling it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> really succinct. <laughs> I mean, I love it if like a tour guide's like, to be honest with you guys, it's a bit of a shell. Uh, <laughs> I mean... You, you see this amazing ad on YouTube, and at the end, there's just a black screen, and it said, paid for by the Genevan <laughs> Tourism Board. They've got the money to spare, Dan. <laughs> they can just Bet throw some my way. Um, yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, CERN itself was very, very cool. Uh, I got to have a look at the LHC and everything. But uh, yeah, Geneva itself wasn't wasn't super blown away, if I'm honest with you. Did you drop a sandwich in it and break it? Do you remember that that article ages and ages and ages ago? I think it was featured on a, an old Yog pod, actually. So the um, oh, oh about the LHC. LHC broken sandwich. Let's see if I can find yeah, it. Yeah, I think it, someone dropped a baguette in it or something. Yeah, the Telegraph on the 6th of November 2009 wrote an article titled Large Hadron Collider Broken by Bread Dropped by Passing Bird It was dropped by Passing Bird <laughs> Now the thing is they have basically the way that they got the because the, the the collider ring itself is about 100 metres underground um, and the experiments like the detectors are vast they are like like a size of an Oxbridge chapel like imagine mm. like your typical chapel like a big grand chapel um, and mm. so they lowered them into the tunnels part assembled rather than doing it all in one go um mm-hmm. which means that they had these huge access ports that are like 100 meters deep and maybe god i don't know maybe 10 meters across like circular so i could fully mm. believe that something could just get dropped down that but it, it, it does not surprise me at all now having been but also the security what to get onto the site the security is relatively tight and they like make you the issue of a visitor pass you have to wear it at all times and all that kind of stuff but once you're on the site they kind of sort of let you go anywhere apart from like the super sensitive bits which i just thought was quite funny the only interaction i had with the security guard um when i was on site was i was waiting outside the antimatter factory to do this filming and the most french security guard imaginable came up like Mm. imagine like a jolly french first world war officer like very portly like a kind of a walrus mustache a little bit of like weights to the face and he basically like came up to me a jaunty baguette cast over one yeah he he had the beret Uh, i think he may or may not have had a string of garlic around Mm. around his self like a sash and mm. he basically came up to me and was like, oh, can I check your badge? And like flipped it over and was like, oh, have a nice day. And they're just kind of like, doop, boop, boop, like wandered off the, the, doing his perimeter search of the only antimatter factory in the f***ing world. Playing like this amazing Parisian accordion. Yeah. You know, that kind of <laughs> On the back of the bicycle. <laughs> just yeah. this accordion music fading away into the background. I'm on the CERN website. And you can view the control center um, because they've done Google Street View in the room. Oh yeah, they. Um... You can actually walk around. Like you can like walk around the office. 
No, oh, that's cool. They actually had a, cool. I had a very interesting chat to the head of social media for CERN, and they want to do streaming on Twitch. Like, they're really interested in trying to do educational stuff and uh, like a mix of some gaming stuff, some kind of like lecture type things. But um, keep your eyes peeled, readers, for that because I think that could be really, really fun. Um, mm. Also, I mean, obviously CERN is where the internet was kind of the World Wide Web was born, um, and mm. there's a, a little plaque on the wall of the corridor where it was basically first connected up uh, and the first computers were sort of connected together. And there was a lovely little tidbit I learned, which was that when you go for a URL that doesn't exist, you always get error 404. And the reason for that is the server, the computer that originally ran the internet was Mm -hmm. in office number 404. So when you requested a file that didn't exist on the system, it would say not found in 404, uh, Mm -hmm. which then became error 404. Which um, I just thought was a really kind of cool, neat little bit of internet history. Um, I'd never heard that before. Also, I learned, do you know what the first, because like, actually, that's a good point. I, I don't actually know what the first video uploaded to the internet was. The first video uploaded to YouTube was Me at the Zoo, which I, I don't know if you have seen. But it's like the one of the founders of YouTube just talking to the camera about elephants. It's really bad. Right. Um, do you know what the first picture ever uploaded to the internet was? Uh, no. Uh, it's... I can't tell what I think about it, actually. Um, I'll copy it and send it to you um, because I'll have to describe this to the readers at home. It's a... Wow, was it really that high resolution? It was like 500 pixels by like 600 pixels. I'm just going to mm-hmm. post this to you, Dan. It was. Uh, it's a picture of a all-girl a cappella group called Le Horrible... Oh, Les Horrible Cernets. So it's like the right. acronym of the LHC, but it's it's right, it's like yeah. a girl band picture. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know what I think about this. It's it's such a bizarre choice of like oh what are we going to put on the uh, what are we going to put as the first image content on this server? I don't know. Yeah, that acapella group from down the, down the corridor. That's bizarre. Um, and they had they did like music videos and stuff of um oh what's the name of their song. I, I, it's, I think they did a song called Collider. Yeah, just called Collider. Which, oh, they founded in 1990 and they only dispersed in 2012. That's sweet. But uh, yeah, they, they sounded pretty nice, really. If like very stereotypically kind of doo-wop acapella basic stuff. But it was like, yeah, there you go. There's a bit of internet history. We've all learned something today. It never happens on this podcast. Anyway, I think, Dan, it's time that we left shuffled out of this corner of the room and took mm. a little trip over to your particular nook where you've been ensconced. Mm. And I think you need to tell me what your choral piece of the fortnight is. Smooth. I mean, it's not quite the week anymore, is it? Not really, no. Let's pretend. <laughs> And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. So my choral piece of the week this week, um, I don't actually have uh, a piece, but I do have... What? Um, I don't have a piece because it would be incredibly egotistical for me to call it my piece of the week. Have you written a piece of music, Dan? I've written a piece of music. Oh! And I did it, and I did it with the choir I conduct last night. Oh! And it was really exciting. It oh! Was... 
Sorry, I can't there go any higher than that. Yeah. Sorry, headphone <laughs> users there. It's like I was getting flashbacks to Santiago from the Path of Miracles. <laughs> um yeah, I've I've I have i have had a go at writing something and I think it's all right. Okay, and... right, right, okay. Let me get in the, the headspace here. Right, so what text? I feel like could Adam, put some bedding music here. We're on like a swanky arts review show now. I'm I, I'm sat here with the composer, Daniel Moore. Um, his, your reputation no, is only higher, preceded higher, by the glare yeah. off of your forehead. Uh, Thank you. Thanks. What thanks can you tell me? What's the name of your your new piece that you brought to the show? My piece is called. Um, I'm sorry, I, just, I feel like I need to get really close to the microphone. Yes, I'm to, just going uh, to get to give this interview very close. Very close. Yeah. Hi. So um, my uh, my piece is um, it's, it's it's titled "Light in Our Darkness," which of course is taken from "Collect Against Perils" from uh, from from Evening Prayer. Lovely Common, text. Commonly, Lovely yeah, Dirk Complin. Um, of course, taking the, uh, the the Book of Common Prayer um, uh, text there. Um, you know, I think it's a piece that really lends itself to a, a kind of a short motet or anthem. It's it's incredibly. I think it's a very powerful, quite introspective text, um, yet also not too intimidating for um, someone who doesn't know what they're doing, like myself. And, um, and how many parts did you write this piece for? Well, it's for it's uh, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, divisi, uh, of course. Um, um, yes, because uh, rather than writing something that's strictly split S-S-A-A-T-T-V-B, I couldn't make my mind up, so I just split when I feel like it. Again, as I as I've mentioned, I don't really know what I'm doing. Right. Um, but yes. it was, I, I you know, it's a very it was a very powerful moment for me last night. I think the choir received it very well. I'm going to be expecting at least seven or eight commissions coming in in the next couple of weeks. Um, and can you tell me time. what can you tell me about the uh, composing process? How did you proce- oh. how did you tackle this? I'm so I'm so glad you asked. So um, I'm a very I think I'm a very text driven person. I've mentioned in the past. You might know my um, poetic. Uh, back catalogue I think for me the text is the most important thing so I'm trying to do the emotions that I feel from the text justice in my my musical setting of those words Um, I of course chose uh, B flat major I think it's an incredibly robust lovely key Mm. um, yeah lovely key um, Lots of shots. I toyed, I toyed around with, toyed, toyed around with, uh, with E flat major, um, but it, it just, um, it felt like a bit too much for muchness. Mm. Uh, so, so we, we opted for, for, for B flat major, and, uh, um, and it's, I think it's quite fruity at times. Uh, it's certainly given me some ideas for, for, for later things I'd like to try and write. I'm currently trying to convince myself whether it's a sensible idea to perhaps uh, attempt writing a set of uh, Faubourdon canticles. Um, perhaps for the chapel choir of Exeter University. You may know them, Simon. Yes, I think you have a bit of history with them. There, they've yeah. been on the show many times. Many times, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for bringing uh, yourself to the, the show, Dan. Uh, we were unable to afford the 16 to record it. Um, That's fine. So don't, don't worry. That's fine. Um, Harry and I... Uh, we'll commission we'll, a recording we'll with some arrangement. The, the far more affordable The One. The One, um, yes. Yeah. And uh, their album, Oh Night slightly kind of sacred but we're not really sure what we're doing yes it's, it's a snappy album guys. <laughs> it's a just very snappy thank you for your time and uh um do try the veal i hear it's delicious oh indeed uh, thank you very much Dan. thank you for coming well, and next week uh we're going to have shane dawson talking about his setting of the catholic mass 
<laughs> and next, and next week, I wanted you to say something along those. And uh, next week, we're going to be uh, it's um, uh, stories at bedtime. We have uh, so Stephen Hawking reading Stick of the Dump. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I want that. I want that so badly. That's <laughs> yeah. What are the opening lines? Hang on. What are the like opening lines of Sting of the Dump? I want to see if we can uh, opening paragraph. I want to see if I can Microsoft Sam this. <laughs> oh wow! It's an extract here. The ground gives way. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, do I? I I've, is that disrespectful if I if I imitate Stephen Hawking's voice and read Sting of the Dump? Well, you're the you're the scientist, so I think it's your field, not mine. Uh, yeah, but the ethics are in your field. <laughs> Well, true. Uh, Adam, uh, put in a clip of Microsoft Sam reading the first <laughs> two sentences of Stick of the Dump. If you went too near the edge of the chalk pit, the ground would give way. Barney had been told this often enough. Oh, God. Now this gives me an incentive to listen back to the episode so I can find out what that sounds like. Uh, fantastic. Right, okay. Um, we'll have to wait for Shane Dawson until next week because, yes, I want to take us over to you that had loads of different like umlauts in it. Uh, mm. Critics Corner. All right, right, right. Now, Dan, I have been undergoing a very interesting experience the past couple of weeks. Right. Basically, Pixel Girl, as you well know, is a teacher at local school. She's a young teacher. She's only just qualified. So there are lots of teachers who are quite a bit older than her. Uh, and in particular, she gets on very well with uh, one of the teachers from her department. And uh, we have formed an impromptu cinema club. It's the Intergenerational Cinema Club. Um, right. Because there is about a 20, 25 year difference between one couple in it and the other couple in it. Um, mm-hmm. And um, we have been going to see a movie every week at the local cinema. Oh, fun. Which has been really nice. It's been the first time I've actually been part of like a regular, apart from arguably like campus cinema, I guess, but that wasn't every week. Um, and we've just started doing it on Tuesdays because uh, of Meerkat Tuesdays. Uh, save, saves half the money um mm. so uh we have since we last recorded uh we went to see two very different films one definitely better than the other um i went to see i as i think we talked about in the last episode i saw little women um right yeah which i believe we talked about didn't we i think we mentioned it okay emma watson and co yeah which is excellent it's it's a lovely lovely film just you know very very sweet very powerfully done um, I assume you know the story of Little Women, right? Yeah. Right. So you'll understand this. And I apologize if this spoils a 150-year-old book for some people in the audience. But Beth dies. And basically, there's a, I don't know if you saw me retweeting it. There was this amazing story of somebody went to see Little Women. And in the moment after Beth died, there's this very powerful, you know, like silence. It's a very somber mm. moment. And the screen next door to the one that was showing Little Women was still showing Rise of Skywalker. And in that quiet moment after Beth dies and it all goes silent, through the wall, they all heard Babu Frick going, Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. It's like muffles (laughs) through the cinema wall. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the least appropriate thing. 
Oh God, I wish I could have been <laughs> and I also Can we also, Adam, um, can we can we isolate and play back a couple of times and perhaps one in slow motion Simon's absolutely incredible impression of Babu Frick? Yay! 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 <laughs> that was amazing. You were really, that was very convincing. I, I gave the role my all, you know, I just got in the yeah, mindset. Yeah, you really did. Uh, I, Babu Frick. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yes, we went to see Little Women without any distractions. Um, and uh, so so the two weeks ago, we went to see 1917. Oh, I really want to see that. And uh, on this Tuesday, we went to see Bombshell. Now, very, very different films. Bombshell, uh, it was about the sex, allega- uh, sex uh, abuse allegations leveled at basically the Roger Isles, who was the guy who built Fox News. Um, and it, it's... It has a lot of characters who are still very much active people, like people like Megyn Kelly, um, mm-hmm. and Rupert Murdoch is in it, and you know it, it felt it was a pretty uncompromising look at the way that the right wing media operates in America and yeah. how sexual um, abuse is basically a cultural thing but also like mm-hmm. having fantastic lines like um when when one of the female characters because it's a very very strong female cast it's got like uh nicole kidman margot robbie um Charlize theron oh god I'm, I'm blanking on the other names but those are like the big three really really good performances by them but like somebody says basically something about like women need to stand up and make sure they're not being accosted by men and somebody unironically says wait you're not a feminist are you it's it's mm. that kind of thing um and it's fine um it's i got a bit bored to begin with if i'm honest it didn't really hook me for quite a while but it's if very good performances if you are interested in the way that media operates and how it uh, impacts the uh, political cycle in america interesting watch mm-hmm. 1917 on the other hand you absolutely must go and see in the cinema mm. it is definitely one of the most intense uh, experiences i've had in the cinema if i had to compare it to something that i know we've seen together it would be dunkirk um, yeah, I thought so. And, you know, it's this constantly ratcheting up tension. And mm. uh, I agree. I have a very good friend, Hugo, um, Hugo Gordon, who uh, I went to St. Peter's uh, to Oxford with, who writes film reviews. Um, and I'll leave a link to his blog. You absolutely should should check it out, uh, readership. Um, and he basically wrote this review saying, 1917 is one of the most technically impressive things I've ever seen. It would have been a mm. lot better if it had a good script. And I basically agree. It's a simple plot, but it's um and the, the dialogue in particular is really quite clunky but the execution of it is phenomenal it is absolutely incredible you have to see it on a big screen with a good sound system it is this unflinching look at a lot of different aspects of world war one um and it starts yeah. out in the trenches and it eventually moves to more open country and sort of the nature of young men being asked to go out and do these insane things yeah and uh, you know, it's got a pretty quite cracking score, actually. I would be surprised if Roger Deakins doesn't get another Oscar for the cinematography in this. It's mm-hmm. not only is it, for those of you, I don't think I mentioned, for those of you who don't know at home, it is shot to look like it is one continuous take. So like, for example, Birdman. Um, and, yes, that famous scene, uh, I was going to say. The, there's, um, there's a Hitchcock film that was shot to look like oh, yeah. it was in one take. Rope. Hey! <laughs> Simultaneous. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's in that style, but it is flawlessly done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there are several moments when you just, you don't practically think, like, wait a minute, 
that must be a different set to this one because he's in a river and he continuously jumped in the river from a high bridge which was running through a town like they've hidden cuts in plain sight like there are some mm. obvious ways that you would edit something like this where like if something wipes across the frame you can mask one set of footage and you know like cut it behind i do it in my videos i did it in the recent one i did on when i went to seoul for example but th- i'm pretty sure they literally blend footage right in the middle of the frame it's, it's incredible yeah. but it also looks beautiful um i read somewhere actually that this this film had the single largest lighting rig ever built for a scene which was a burning cool. church sequence um, oh yes yeah that. and yeah you you absolutely must see it the two movies you've got to go and see dan for your homework are cats and 1917 uh, I'll do my best. I'm most. I'm really interested to see 1917 for several reasons. Actually, George McKay, the star, yeah, did an absolutely brilliant job in Captain Fantastic. Captain Fantastic. He was the eldest son, the one with um, Viggo Morgensen. Oh, oh yeah. And uh, he was amazing in that, and it's a fantastic film. So I'm really excited to see him again. And then also, and this is more recently, I got into a silly uh, heated debate with someone uh, in choir, actually, um, singers. We went to the pub after rehearsal last night. I was curious as to who did the... Um, I couldn't remember off the top of my head who didn't do done the um, the music, the score. Mm. And it's Thomas Newman. Yes. And uh, and I was I thought, oh, this he must be related to Randy Newman. They can't be in the same... They can't have that same last name. Granted, Newman's fairly common last name. But to be in that business, similarly. And yeah, they're, um, he's... Uh, they're cousins. Oh, right. I would have assumed yeah. father and son, but because I, I, I think I have in my head that Thomas Newman's young, but I don't think he is. Because mm. um, he did like Finding Nemo, I want to say. He did yes. he's done some Pixar stuff for sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, he's been active for quite a while actually. Yes. Yeah, so, so yeah, I, it, I'd recommend the score definitely. It's, it's a good listen, and there are certainly some yeah. moments where it's really intense. Here's something interesting. So um, Thomas Newman was invited to work on Return of the Jedi, Jedi, orchestrating the scene where Darth Vader dies. Now that's a bit of trivia. That, it is cool, isn't it? Wow. Oh, no way. Newman composed the score to Sam Mendes' first feature film, American Beauty, which is, I would say, is like... Your favourite film. I think it's, it's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's my favourite film and also the perfect film. I don't think you can fault it. It's kind of strange um, that like Sam Mendes, because he was originally a theatre director, I think. Mm. And now he, and then he went on to do American Beauty, and then like out of kind of nowhere, he did Skyfall, like an amazing action thriller. And now he's done 1917. Like his career has been like a real. He's really like switched lanes over the course of his career. It's kind of amazing. So he met he met Stephen Sondheim at Yale. Oh really? That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's an overlap wow. I wouldn't have expected. Yeah. So yeah, that's um that, those those are my movies. So the 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 intergenerational uh, cinema club will be going. I'm not quite sure what we're seeing next because we've kind of seen everything that's good that's out at the moment. There's Dark mm. Waters, the one with Mark Ruffalo, and there's a uh, there's a couple of things that I still need to see. Jojo Rabbit. I mm. I I don't know if it's actually showing near me anymore. The only other thing it's gonna be a busy weekend of film seeing. I think I'm gonna have to try and squeeze some in. The only other thing that I've seen. <clears throat> that I uh, particularly would recommend is um, Sex Education Season 2, which I've been watching with yes, Pixel Yes, Which is great. I, I don't know about what you mm. thought, but I, I really enjoyed it. Excellent. I thought it was really good. It's just smart TV, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 the, the cinematography in it is phenomenal. Like, the, um, I just watched the last episode today with the Romeo and Juliet and the, the sort of the mm. filmmaking in it. There was one shot of, oh, God, what's Otis's friend called... Who plays the French um, horn? I can't remember the character's yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. But there's a shot of him 
uh, as he's like crying, playing the French horn. And it's one of the most beautiful shots I've seen in TV in a long Eric. time. Eric, that's it. Of course it is. It's Eric and Otis. Um, yeah, I, I highly recommend. Have you? I know you've been busy recently. Have you had a chance to watch anything? Aside from sex education, not really. Um, I've been listening. I've been re-listening to from the very beginning um, the old, the original Yogpod. Oh wow! Um, podcasts because I've been listening to them while I'm at work, and that's been fantastic. Yeah. But otherwise, no, I haven't really. I haven't really watched much. Um, You've been a busy boy, you know. Just, oh, you know, it's busy, busy time. You know, no, it's the grindstone. Yeah, quite. Well, uh, speaking of people being nosy... Wait, no, what? what the, bleh, God, uh, call the bondulance. Call the bondulance, Dan. What I was trying to say is we should go to Patreon Corner. Top lad. And those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, uh, or as regularly as we put them out, um, know that it's that time again where we head over to Patreon Corner. Um, Patreon is... Well, it's the it's the beating heart of the uh, of the podcast. It's it's uh, it's it's been a lovely place for the community. We've had some quite interesting posts up there over the years that we've been uh, doing this silly thing that we do. But most importantly, it's an opportunity for you who listen to give us um, your big money no, to, to give to, to to support two uh, up and coming artists uh, in their <laughs> quest to produce. High, the highest quality non-content to produce uh, the world's the greatest podcast. We are Tenacious D. <laughs> yeah. um, but we have some amazing people who help. Uh, it might be giving a dollar a week. It might be giving five dollars a week. Um, every little helps. Um, God, that's a good catchphrase, isn't it? Maybe, maybe we should copyright that. Yeah, print um, it. Uh, uh, but, it, it, you know, the money pays for so many things and so many of those things go unmentioned or kind of blip under the radar for instance if we couldn't pay for our hosting this podcast wouldn't be possible um if we couldn't pay our wonderful editor adam um he equally wouldn't be possible um we've done merchandise in the past stickers and t-shirts again we've used the money that this podcast uh makes and accrues over months to uh, to to help us do those initial investments so it really is um it's invaluable work and, and it's amazing that you support us the way that you do and now that we're back i definitely want to start using some of the funds that um, you guys have been slinging our way we, we I, I certainly would like to do a little bit more merch um mm. have to look into some exciting ways to spend all of the money that you have so graciously given us would you like to thank anyone in particular dan i would i would actually yeah i'd like to thank our top dogs for those of you who don't know uh, you choose either team dog or team cat for this podcast i represent team dogs because obviously they're the better pet and i represent team cats because obviously they're the better pet Right, anyway, top dogs uh, are needed to be thanked. So without further ado, I'd like to say a massive thank you to Alistair Fortune, Ben McMurtry, Colin J. Brown, Eric Davis, Eric Bolliger, Eve Sharples, Jackson, Codzo, Kyle Peary, Luca Shulman, Maggie, Peter Reed, Samantha and Valerie. Thank you so much. And I would like to thank the sensible people who are top cats. I would like to thank Choco Cat, Colm Mansfield, the one and only Dan Hanvey, Isabel Ostrowski, John Mannion, Kenneth Kuzmirek, I'm going to go with, Layla Medina, Lewis Watson. Oh no, Dan. Dan. Okay, yeah, go on. Rez Hez is here. Um, Rez Hez, I, this is why I call you by your username, because your name is Martin... Oh, it's not even that. F*** it. Um... Marcin 
Kosanas. Nailed it. Gonna go with that. Uh, thank you, Fantastic. thank you, Rezhez. Uh, Oliver Burkhart, Oliver Craigie, Omar Miranda, Princess Sandromeda, Rents Cook, Riverward, Trustworthy Ginger, no such thing, and William Humphreys. Michael Graham? My, what? what are you doing here? Oh, he, he, that's not a trustworthy ginger, Dan. You should know better than that. Uh, I would also just like to give a random shout out to. Who have I not shouted out before? Andre Solander, uh, who is a random member of the $1 Team Cat tier. Thank you, Andre. And thank you to all the, te- the top cats. I'd like to say a thank you to Christopher uh, Oddy. God, imagine if you relate to Bill Oddy. How, how great would that be? Like, imagine he'd be like a really dope uncle to... Oddy is spelt the same way. Well, maybe they are related. Maybe they are. Christopher, if you're related to Bill Oddy, um, drop us a line. <laughs> would you want to go out in a bird hide in like... Sl- you know, like RSPB Slimbridge, and you're there with Bill Oddy. He's gonna tell you what all the birds are, but also you know that he's gonna have like mm. an eight pack of tinnies in his bag. Like you just, I feel like he'd be a really chill guy to hang out with. He's not a massive racist, is he? I don't know. He was dropped from the BBC, wasn't he? Hang on, I feel like I've just diffused over how great Bill Oddy is. He's 78. He's oh wow. Do you know what is is listed on Wikipedia as? No. He's listed as an English writer, comedian, composer, musician, artist, birder, conservationist, television presenter, and actor. Wow. He's, he's many feathers in his cap, and that's just the ornithology stuff. Mm. Uh, he supports the Green Party! There we go. What a lovely man. Uh, there we go. So he's, he seems all right in my book. Well well done, Bill. And who was it who might be related to Bill Oddie? Christopher. Christopher Oddie. Well, thanks, Chris. That's great. Even if you are a filthy dog heathen. Top lad. Now, Dan, we, I, I believe, have some correspondence, some Corin's pondence, which has come in since our last episode. Would you like to read some? I'd love to. I'd love to. Have you moved oh, you it into the that, correspondence then. folder? I have. Oh, look at this. It's all nice and tidy. Wow, we've got loads of stuff in. Good Lord. Yeah, people listen to this pod. Oh my God, Dan, people listen. Oh no. <laughs> we've been rumbled. Abort! Right. I'm going to start with Zach Davis. Zach Davis. In Two Brothers. Two Brothers. It's just, it's just called Two Brothers. Um, he, he, he goes on to say, or they, rather, because one shouldn't assume. Um, Makes an ass out of you and me. Indeed. Visiting UK and Ireland suggestions. Uh, Zach says, I'm a second year physics PhD student at Purdue. Um, ah. I started watching Simon's videos back at uni and I've been a very patient listener of the Wikicast since the first episode. <laughs> In May, I'm making my second trip across the pond to visit the UK and Ireland. I was hoping to hear any suggestions you may have when visiting the UK and Ireland. Separately, I hope your time outside of academia is more relaxing. Unfortunately, it, look, it looks to have its own stresses. That's true enough. Wishing you the best and hoping to see more videos with Dan in them too. Oh, Uh, Zach Davis, age 23 and, oh dear, 1,130,137, thousandths. Yes, that's the one. Well, Zach, uh, I love the uh, the, uh, precision there. Very, very fine. Um, where, Where should Zach visit in the UK and Ireland, Dan? Oh, there's lots of cool places to go. I mean, you can do all of the kind of classic touristy spots. And by that, I mean... Uh, Stonehenge. If you're going to Ireland, you ought to do Giant's Causeway. Um, you should go and see some... St. Patrick's Purgatory. Yeah, indeed. Um, I would say, if you can, get to some, see some of um, the UK's 
major beautiful cities. So I'm thinking Edinburgh. I'm thinking Oxford. Milton Keynes. I'm thinking Milton Keynes. Um, I'm thinking Slough. Um, yeah. Any suggestions, Simon? Uh, I would definitely put in a, a vote of for you could do Bath and Bristol, uh, and then sort of incorporate that into a trip to see Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I mean, we've only really said stuff in England. If you're going to the west, you should also look at Wales. Um, you should have a look at Snowdonia uh, if you are a bit further north Um, because Manchester is a lovely place to visit as well so if you're going to Manchester you could sort of skip on over and do um, the north of Wales as well which is beautiful Uh, it kind of depends on if you want to dot yourself all over the place or if you want to base yourself in a region because you could base yourself in London and just do the southeast or you Mm. could do like I say sort of the southwest and that's much more rural but there's a lot of history here as well Um, in fact some of the oldest history Uh, Scotland I would definitely recommend if you wanted to do a trip that was dedicated to a region, consider going to Scotland. It is incredibly beautiful. I particularly put in a vote for Sky, uh, where my relatives live. You can't really go wrong as long as you avoid Slough, really. Speaking of which, Dan, actually, we have a we have an angry letter from Milton Keynes. Oh, fantastic. It reads, Dear Dad and Simon, I, for one, am gutted your podcast is back. I thought that I got it away from you two hack frauds. But no, now I have to listen to another nearly hour of terrible content every week. I am appalled. Yours angrily, Milton Keats. Thank you for your correspondence, Milton Keats. Thank it's lovely to hear from you. I love the that their email address is Milton Keynes. 130 roundabouts at gmail.com. That's, com- that's commitment. Outstanding. Wow. We've got an email here from Kyle. This is titled, Welcome Back and Resolutions. Uh, Dear Dr. Clark and Master Moore, um, Welcome back. I'm sure you're relieved to see that your readers have not left you, as tempting as it may have been. (laughs) Thank you for your understanding. (laughs) Thanks, Kyle. (laughs) I've I've been a long-time reader, but this is my first time writing. In fact, I've been listening since the very first episode, which was my first year of university. I studied politics and international relations at undergraduate and now doing a master's in foreign policy and diplomacy in London. So do not ask me how I managed to stumble upon Simon's atmospheric um, physics PhD vlogs. The answer being procrastination, which I'm very grateful for, as it eventually led me to my favourite podcast. Aw. That being said... Oh, here we go. Oh. (laughs) Oh, no. It's turning, Dan. (laughs) Welcome back, and I look forward to future episodes. Oh, that's all right. I have finally made the ultimate commitment uh, to joining your Patreon as top dog. Ah. Now, the ultimate Kyle, commitment. How fantastic. The ultimate commitment makes it sound like death. <laughs> like, he he paid the ultimate commitment. He signed up to the Wikicast Patreon. This is this is what separates you and me. When you when you hear the ultimate commitment, you think of death. I think of marriage. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll just we'll just breeze over that. Um, in, in, terms of, in terms of New Year's resolutions, I've decided that I should do more for my community in terms of voluntary work. And as an Australian, well, hey, I think this is very appropriate given the devastation that's happening at home. On a more that's positive true. Note, do, do you know uh, has the devastation like hit where you used to live? Um, I still think it's fairly central, right? Uh, and I think I want to say it's more in. New South Wales, but I could be completely wrong there. Australia bushfires map. Here we go. Let's have a look. No, so the answer, short answer is no, I don't know, but I do know it's awful. And uh, the only positive uh, that you can draw on this is that the coming together of community, attention to the climate crisis and general rejection of government policy because Scott Morrison is an absolute asshole, um, mm. is really, that's encouraging. The firefighters uh, and their amazing work is inspirational and it's amazing to see kind of almost every single one of my friends who I knew or people who I was at school with 
are all making their voices heard and it's a it's a powerful thing to witness yeah let's hope they let people listen yeah um, anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Kyle, Kyle goes on to say, in terms of New Year's resolutions... Ah, because we asked last week, uh, two weeks ago, didn't we? Um, I have decided that I should do more for my community in terms of voluntary work and as an Australian... Oh, yeah, we've said that. On a more positive note, I'm sure Simon will be pleased dash jealous to know that I um, will be going to a screening of The Room with Tommy... Oh, my God. He's oh, going- with Tommy? Yeah, with Tommy. Good oh. Live in London. Also, please film a drunk podcast episode if you ever visit each other. Seeing that uploaded onto Spongy Electric alongside more iconic music videos would be uh, a late New Year's treat. Sorry for the long email, but as a first-time writer, I had much to say. Kind regards, Kyle. At the time of writing, uh, (laughs) 11,578,332 minutes old. Wow. Commitment. Uh, We actually had another message on uh, that same subject uh, from from Gandhar Nigudkar. I want to say, I'm sorry, probably mangled your name, Gandar. Team Dogs all the way. Also, do an episode whilst drinking so I can enjoy the company of some tipsy people again. <laughs> um, people really like that drunk episode we did. Let's do it. Yeah, we should. maybe we should combine that. Oh, you know what we should do? Combine that with that painting challenge that we're supposed to be doing. Oh, yeah. Get that's drunk. A, that's a good idea. And then both paint a model and we put it on Sponge and Electric. All to the, all to the soundtrack of the uh, Cats. Star Wars disco. <laughs> it never ends. It's yeah. just <laughs> I'm I'm arming the dimmer switch as I speak. <laughs> um wow. Uh we've still on. got we've still got lots to go. I'm wondering should shall we save some for next episode unless other stuff comes in or because oh, I'm not wow. sure we can get through all of this. No, we've got so many. I just read some of Mandalore's one and it <laughs> It's just made me very quickly. Um, Mandalore's emailed in saying, Dear Messrs. Clark and Moore, appreciate the order. Really, uh, really enjoyed Simon's appearances in the Jingle Jam last year. Fantastic effort on the quiz. Any chance of a, cur- a Wikicast Kerbal stream this coming Jingle Jam? God, can you imagine if they asked us to do a stream with the Jingle Jam? They, they must be truly desperate if they come yeah. to us for help. Um, it would be good to get you on like streams at some point, actually. I know that you are busy, but uh, if we could work that out, that would be fun. Um, and basically, there was a quick question here, a more academic question. Uh, what do you recommend when working on a thesis and feeling overwhelmed with the sheer amount of data slash huge variety in literature? I really struggle to determine an original research question I can call my own, given many possible directions that data allows. Uh, and existing work which I feel is better than anything I could possibly produce. How did you come across a particular research question in your... Because you did a final uh, large essay in your final year, right? Yeah, well, I had a I had a large essay and, and an anthology. So because I did right. a creative writing dissertation, it's slightly different to writing just a standard essay dissertation. There's, several, there's different kind of components to it. I knew that I wanted to do poetry. I think... Rather than trying to come at it from an academic perspective, which may render my answer completely unhelpful. And it was a personal thing for me to want to explore my relationship with faith because it's been pretty fraught over the last, let's say, eight years. Um, Every school I've been to, certainly in kind of like uh, the kind of the latter end of education. So let's say year 10 onwards, at least. Um, It was quite a big part of my life. And then I'd kind of left it by the wayside because of various reasons, but started to then come back in touch with it. I think I remember in a a very old episode, I mentioned a friend of mine called Noah at um, Homerton College, Cambridge, and had a very, very extensive chat with him while we were on tour about his relationship with it. And he's a an incredible 
He's an incredible guy, fascinating, and is so encouraging to hear someone just wax lyrical about how much their faith defines them and and how much they love it. So I think I really just wanted to do my dissertation as an exploration and as a journey. And the title of the um, of the dissertation was Peregrinations, which is like a think of it like pilgrimage. Yeah, it's the action um, of moving, right? Yeah, yeah. It's defined here as a journey, especially a long or meandering one. Right. Um, it's helpful to not think of it purely from an academic perspective because it's something that you put, you invested an awful lot of your time into. And as a result, mm. if you don't have a personal connection or an inherent interest, aside from, oh, this would this would be quite an interesting academic thing to do, or it might look good um, on, a, on a transcript or something, then you're probably going to struggle with it because there, there are points where simply doing it because you're an academic won't carry you through. You need to have, I mean, I mean, you can, you'll know more about this because you did a PhD, but. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think it basically, yeah, I think it boils down to what could you see yourself investing far more time than is probably healthy uh, researching at the mm. end of the day. It has to be a personal connection to it. Um, I, I think you have to also rely on the wisdom of people who have done this several times, like talk to supervisor, talk to um, other people who are, you know, other academics, because they will have done this and they might be able to say, well, actually, this is an interesting angle. Like, I think I think if you just talk at them, they'll probably help you identify a question that you have posed, but you haven't like pared down the surrounding material. So yes. I, yeah, definitely bounce ideas off of people. So I hope that helps, Mandalore. Sorry, I extended the episode. Uh, and Mandalore signs off with yours angrily, Milton, brackets, Friedman, and John Maynard Keynes, a.k.a. Definitely. Tristan, 24 plus negative 1 over 12 times minus 6 years. Wow. Uh, P.S. Oh, we've got some P. Cosby. Well, Rudy, bet you didn't expect to see me here on the Jingle Jam. I'm glad you enjoyed my recommendation. What's my resolution, you say? Cut down on the pudding. I also asked Kevin to send some real dolls to all Wikifirst fans. It, oh, no, that's a that's an Uxbridge. So this is a... <laughs> for people that don't... Li- <laughs> Sorry, it must have sounded like I just completely lost my mind. Yeah, I was going to um, say, are you feeling all right? That's, um... That's a reference to uh, the Greatest Generation, the two best uh, best repeating characters of Picosby, which is Picard as played by Bill Cosby. Ah, yes. Uh, uh, you see, Wesley, um, and uh, also Kevin Uxbridge, who is from one episode, who commits incredible amounts of genocide, but is like their most beloved recurring character that they voice. <laughs> Sorry, I've never, never actually done my own impressions of him before. That's f-ing hilarious. Um, I also asked Kevin to send real dolls to all Wikicast fans everywhere. Lovely. Uh, well, I'll get Adam to drop in the appropriate background music for each of those. If you, if I cannot stress enough, people, if you're geeks, you need to listen to the Greatest Generation. It's so good. Thank you, Tristan. If I assume that meant it was you that got me onto it, thank you so much. So, Dan, with that extended coda to the podcast, what have we learned today? Well, of course, Simon, we learned about the Mr. Men. Ah, yes. The series um, of children's books miss. by English yes. author Roger Hargreaves. Um, and from there, we I, I, de- I gave my best shot at trying to rattle off every single Mr. Men in one breath, which I sadly failed to do. Um, but I don't know what you mean. It was I'm flawless. Bo- I'm sure uh, Adam may have uh, doctored that, uh, that <laughs> footage. No, 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 no. He would never do such never, a thing. Never, never, no. Um, 
we then spoke about i i kind of gave us an a a, a cheating choral piece of the week uh, where you kindly interviewed me um yes. about the little silly thing that i've written um, oh no, I'm that wasn't me. Of, but... That that was the noted art Sorry. critic. Yes, um, yes. Sorry, that's right. Yeah. Simon de Bolivar. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> I could I couldn't think of another surname. We then went to Critics Corner and we discussed a multitude of things. Wax lyrical about 1917. Uh, people should go see it. And I updated you on the intergenerational cinema club, uh, which is I, I, I need to make t-shirts for. It's very fun. Mm. And uh, then we also had some cracking correspondence. Do send us in your correspondence and all your thoughts on the show because we absolutely love hearing from you. Um, wait, well, hang on. That's that's a line that, I, that you say in a minute, Dan, because I oh, now nice. need to say... That's all for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. You can like us on Facebook. And if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Your favourite Mr. Men. Yeah, yeah! And other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole. And, and we'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.